homes uh, before growing in thousands of numbers and needing larger spaces. Um, so you're in good company. Um, so it is my joy to be here with you again and um, for the close of Philippians. So we've actually, after spending um, this last little while looking at the book of Philippians, uh, we now reach the end um, and it's my joy to be able to unpack uh, what this final chapter uh, is saying and how it makes sense and really draws out the themes that we see uh, all the way through the letter. So along the way, we've learned about what it means to be partners in the gospel. Uh, we've learned about what it means to be joined to Jesus uh, and to all of his people. Um, and in this letter, we actually get a glimpse of the big, big picture that is the church, uh, the global church. And we discover that by seeing the example of a small local church that gathered in a home um, and they were committed to sending out gospel workers to the ends of the earth and they faithfully committed their prayers and their finances and their lives to forwarding the good news of Jesus. So this is a letter that's for us too, isn't it? Uh, here today, we need to be reminded, just like you were last week, I'm sure, to strain forward to what lies ahead, to press on towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and to hold true to what we've attained. And what have we attained? Life in Christ and partnership in the gospel. So as Paul pens his closing words of the letter, and he calls us now to stand firm and stand firm in the Lord. And standing firm in the Lord means that we rejoice in the Lord. And that rejoicing is for always. But Paul wrote this letter knowing the reality of living in the world. And this reality is that we're on shaky ground. That sometimes it seems like our world is falling apart around us. So how do we stand firm and rejoice in the Lord when times are hard? When people hurt us? When our minds are filled with worry and uncertainty? So let's take a look together now at how God's Word helps us to know His grace and peace. And that peace guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For the purpose of us standing firm and rejoicing in Him always. So if you guys can keep Bibles open at Philippians chapter 4, we're going to stick pretty closely to that passage um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. So, Father, yeah, thank you for your word and thank you for the gift that we have uh, of the Apostle Paul and the church in, in Philippi, where we have a, just a great example of what it looks like uh, to be partners in your gospel. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you might speak through me this morning, that as we meet here in this home, that we would um, sit under your word, that we would learn from you, 
that we would do so with clarity and that your wisdom would change us. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word is not without effect and the outcome will be us uh, standing firm for the rest of our days and rejoicing in you in every circumstance of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, we read, uh, Therefore, my brothers, who I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So these two uh, charges, standing firm in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord, are to Paul the natural outworking of everything that his letter to the Philippian church entails. Because partners in the gospel strive together to stand firm and to hold fast to this gospel. And they do so with joy or rejoicing in all circumstances. And as we read on in this last part of the letter, we're not left wondering how we can do this, how to stand firm, how to rejoice. You see, we've been given great encouragement in the examples of Paul himself and of the local church he was originally writing to. And this theme, our theme today of joy and rejoicing, flows all the way through the letter that we've been reading. And it's led many through history to label the book of Philippians the letter of joy. From the opening of the letter, Paul prays with joy. He rejoices in Christ being proclaimed. He wanted to see his readers have joy in the faith. He asked the Philippians to complete his joy by having the mind of Christ. Then he rejoices with his readers. And he sent Epaphroditus, our friend Epi, to them so that they could join in this rejoicing. And as you read last week, he calls the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And finally, as we're learning today, he tells the readers that they are his joy as they stand firm and rejoice in the Lord with him. There's a lot of joy and rejoicing all through the letter. And rejoicing, what is rejoicing? It's joy in action. So the, the word rejoicing comes from joy. And it's simply the action that joy does. So rejoicing is what joy does. Paul himself is an example of someone who knew true joy. And it meant that he could rejoice in the Lord through every circumstance, even shipwreck, imprisonment, beatings and poverty. No matter what happened in Paul's life, he knew this joy that was unshakable. How was this possible? Well, Paul knew what the writer to the Hebrews knew, that both the source of our joy and the perfect example of rejoicing is given to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one we look to. Jesus is the Lord who we stand firm in and rejoice in. Which brings us back to our text this morning. What we see in these closing words of Philippians is Paul addressing our head, our heart and our hands. Because standing firm and rejoicing in the Lord is for always, for all of life. So this morning we're learning how to find our joy in the Lord and finding that joy shapes our hearts and minds as well as shapes our actions. So you may recall back in chapter 2 where we were called or entreated to be of one mind in Christ, to be united in our stand with him. Well, here in verse 2 of chapter 4, we see that call repeated. And we don't know what the disagreement was between the two women that are mentioned in this passage. But the fact that it's made it into Paul's letter shows his concern for them and for the church. We're reminded of two things here in this little opening of chapter 4. First of all, that disagreements happen in the life of the church. And secondly, that our help to one another is not to forcibly agree on everything in life, but rather to encourage one another to agree in the Lord. To find unity that's based on that partnership in the gospel that we have. And it's this that helps us to rejoice in the many different personalities and the different characters whose names are in the book of life. And to the outsider looking in, on a church, it can seem strange that people who can be so different are so unified. And I often find great joy in reflecting on how I can have such deep relationships, the deepest I've had in my life, with people who are totally different to me and have totally different life experiences. And because what unites us is agreeing in the Lord. We're saved by the same Saviour and headed for the same destination for eternity. So the next time you find yourself having a different view as a fellow Christian, whether it's in the local church or outside, it could be... Differences on parenting style, differences on choices of clothing. It could be differences in your preference of music. It could even be politics. Reflect together on what it is that unites you and stand firm and rejoice in the Lord together. I'm now at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why rejoice in the Lord always? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is with you. The Lord is here. The Lord is at hand. And the fact that this needs repeating, rejoicing in the Lord, shouldn't be lost on us. For we often find ourselves either failing to rejoice at all, due to our worries and our concerns and our circumstances, or things go so great and we end up rejoicing in other stuff. And this is because where your joy is found is what you will rejoice in. So seeking our joy in people or circumstances will ultimately leave us without joy as the reality of loss and hardship and conflict, sickness and death hit home. Don't get me wrong, this isn't to say we don't have feelings of joy over those who we love, over achievements in life, over good food perhaps, or positive experiences. Paul himself was able to say that his readers brought him joy. But note that his joy was in the Lord and in the fact that they were standing firm and rejoicing in the Lord with him. So the take home from this is if your joy is in the Lord, then you will rejoice in all that he does and in all who belong to him. There's a lot of reasons to be thankful and joyful when your joy is found in the Lord. And this kind of rejoicing is reasonable. It makes sense. There's no rolling around on the floor. There's no chanting or muttering of noises that no one understands. There's no ritual or ceremony to summon God into our presence because the Lord is in our presence. Our Lord is with us always so that we can rejoice always. For this reason, he tells us not to be anxious about anything. We need to hear this, don't we? Not to be anxious. How often are we hindered by our worries and our fears? And don't worry, this isn't something that's unique to us. This was true thousands of years ago. It stands true for all people of all time. We worry. We let our circumstances determine our measure of joy. So when times are hard and when you find it hard to stand and rejoice, bring your circumstances to God. Bring your anxieties to God. 
in prayer, making your requests known. And do so with thanksgiving. This means that even though your experiences themselves may not be joyful, you can give thanks that the Lord is near, that you are comforted by the Lord's presence with you in the midst of these things. That he is not unaware of our circumstances and he himself has endured suffering to the point of death so that we could be at peace with God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, verse 7, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our hearts and our minds have a way of wandering, don't they? To stand firm, our hearts and minds need to be guarded by God himself so that we would know the peace that surpasses understanding. Notice that this doesn't say all our requests will be granted, but rather that we would be made to stand firm through trials and testing, and that we would know peace in the midst of hardship, because Jesus, the one who is himself our peace, is with us always. So what are we to think about with these minds that are now guarded by God himself? Well, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So... The question for us is, what fills your mind? What are the things or the people that occupy your thoughts? Because what we fill our minds with will flow out into what we say and do. And for us today, all we need to do is look at the screen that's in our hands to receive all the world is saying to us. And it's all too easy to be influenced by all of that. I wonder if someone was to scroll through your phone today, would the content they see be true, be honourable, be just, be lovely, be commendable, be excellent, be worthy of praise? Food for thought. Our experiences in relationship can also greatly impact our hearts and our minds and our ability to rejoice. So what do you find yourself thinking about in times where you have been let down or hurt by others, particularly those that are close to you? How does that impact your thinking? In recent times, I myself have struggled with my mind being occupied with how best to respond to people who have hurt me. 
And I've been brought to a place where I'm truly thankful that my heart and mind is guarded in Christ Jesus, who is ever with me. And I've certainly not responded like I would have done years ago. And I'm able to now rejoice in the Lord, who is continuing to renew my mind and transform my life to be more like his. And I pray the same for those who have hurt me. Paul, too, was able to hold himself out as an example of one whose head, heart and hands had been renewed and transformed by the God of peace so that he himself could face every test and trial. And what we learn, receive, hear and see from this letter to the Philippians, indeed we see in the whole of God's word, we can put into practice. Being not only hearers of the word, but doers. Because the word of God is not without effect, but accomplishes all that God sets out for it to do in me and in you. And just like the preacher who says, finally, only to go on and add three more points, Paul wants to share something further uh, with us. He wants to share that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly for all that he'd received through the Philippian church. And unlike some have suggested, he's not saying here, thanks, but I didn't need your help. Rather, what he's doing is encouraging them and he's alleviating their concerns for his welfare. And this is the encouragement we need as well. Because here today, there will be some of us who are in need and there will be some who are in times of plenty. And standing firm and rejoicing in the Lord is for us all, together, always, in every single circumstance. Paul's words, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If your joy is in the Lord, then you will know contentment. Elsewhere, Paul writes that it is God who works all things together for our good. This is the secret he refers to, that knowing God has worked mightily for you and continues to work in you and through you, as we learned earlier in the letter, means that you can face every circumstance knowing that he is with you. And knowing that he's the one who's guarding your heart and mind, which causes you to stand firm, to not be swayed by other ideas and, and philosophies, and to rejoice. As you stand in Christ, 
you're able to rejoice in him, for he is your joy. This is drawn out as Paul continues to thank them at the end of his letter for the gift that they'd sent to him. And here is an example of a local church supporting gospel ministry, sending out workers and sending out their finances and their prayers to keep this ministry going. The gifts given to God's people, Paul says, are acceptable and pleasing to God. Why? Because everything is his. You see, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice how God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To glory in Christ, to rejoice in the Lord, is to meet our needs. So when you find yourself in hard times, consider the glory of Christ Jesus. The glory of God on display for the world was the Son of God nailed to a Roman cross. Stripped of worldly status and possessions, bloody and broken. And this death was for you. The glory of God given to you through suffering and death. The glory of God that has conquered the grave and rose to rule over heaven and earth and rules now. We have a living God who meets our need by giving us all of himself. By drawing near to us and living with his people. So like the Apostle Paul did, I want to close our time together by asking this question. Can we say like Paul? that it's my God who will supply every need. May we be a people who continue to stand firm in the Lord and rejoice in him with head, heart and hands, with all of ourselves, always. Let me close by praying. Father, we thank you so much for the gift that is the letter to the Philippians. Uh, Lord, we, we come to you now acknowledging that you are the Lord who rules and reigns. Lord Jesus, we praise you and rejoice in you. For you are the source of our joy and your presence is ever with us. So Lord, I pray that we would take to heart uh, the, the truth that we see in this passage, that your word would change us and make us who you want us to be in the image of your son. So, Lord, we pray now that you will uh, continue to bless uh, Cherry Book Presbyterian Church. We pray that you will continue to 
help each of us to stand firm in the Lord, to rejoice in your name and in the glory of your Son. For we pray this now in his name. Amen.